In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Hello again, friends and fans of Freaky, Frightening, and Fantastic Funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast that dissects and inspects horror comics. Bob here, your friendly neighborhood cast keeper and curator of the 4CF Vault. I'd like to welcome you to episode 29, where due to some recent modifications to the random comic generator, we will be taking a look at Black Cat Mystery number 39, published by Harvey in 1952. Back in episode 10, we covered another Harvey horror comic title, and that was Chamber of Chills number 7. And in that episode, I did a brief publisher's history. So if you're interested in hearing about Harvey Publishing, you can go back to episode 10 and give that a listen. So we'll take a look at Black Cat Mystery and in particular issue number 39 when I get back. So stick around. Be sure and remember what Bert the Turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. Duck and cover. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb, duck and cover. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do. Duck and cover. First, you duck. Then, you cover. You duck and cover tight. Duck and cover under the table. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you. And you. And you. Duck and cover. Okay, I just want to make sure I've wrapped my head around this and have got this straight. Uh, We as a nation, and I'm speaking about the United States, we as a nation, or at least part of the nation, uh, was concerned with children reading horror and crime comics when these kids had to deal with the horrors of atomic blast and radioactive fallout on a daily basis. I don't know, it just sounds to me like uh, conducting a witch hunt on comic book publishers is a misappropriation of taxpayer dollars. But that's just me. You know, I understand the Cold War, you know, I lived through it too, and it was over by 91, and I graduated from high school in 1982, and I don't ever recall having to go through any kind of uh, duck and cover or duck and roll drills. Uh, If your experience was different, uh, drop me a line and let me know. Okay, Black Cat Mystery. The title of this comic is officially known and it's listed at the Grand Comics database as Black Cat because it had various different titles over the course of its run. 
it was known as Black Cat, which is the initial run of the comics, which involved a female Hollywood starlet superhero. It's actually a pretty interesting uh, superhero comic. Uh, but anyway, it was known as Black Cat Comics, then Black Cat Western Comics, Black Cat Mystery Comics, Black Cat Western Mystery, Black Cat Mystic, and finally back to Black Cat again. Uh, the ones we're concerned with are the mystery titles, and that would be issues 30 through 53 and 57. Those are the horror comic issues, but it was published as a whole that is Black Cat Comics, for 65 issues, numbered 1 through 65, from June, July 1946 until 1963. There were several different gaps in publication of this book, uh, but that is the full run, 65 issues from 46 to 53. Now, we're going to be looking at Black Cat Mystery, number 39, and the cover of Black Cat Mystery depicts a... Uh, person with a noose around their neck that is being burned at the stake at the same time. So I guess the people that are executing this uh, old crone are making sure they get her because, like I said, she is being hung and burned at the same time. We get the title Black Cat Mystery in a stylized font. Above that, we get a tagline, Strangest Tales of Fear and Superstition. And there is another tagline insert that says, I curse him by all the powers of darkness. I curse him unto eternity, this, this witch killer. Serviceable artwork by a man named Lee Elias. And uh, inside the book, Black Cat Mystery number 39 has 36 pages with six comic stories. I know that's a lot, but two of them are actually one-pagers and one text story. The first comic story, The Ape Man, concerns a self-proclaimed world's greatest taxidermist who is terrorized by some former subjects. Like By the title, you can guess who they are. Uh, that's followed by a one-page comic story called Voodoo, which is uh, four panels about, you guessed it. That's followed by The Witch Killer, which is our title story, where an old witch is resurrected and seeks revenge on the surviving family members of the man who killed her. That's followed by another one-page comic story called The Evil Eye. Three panels about, yep, that's right, The Evil Eye. That's followed by our, one of our text stories called The Stranger. And the next text story follows it. It's called Hoofbeats of Death. That's followed by The Body Maker, where a grisly and deranged man tries to create the perfect woman piece by piece. And the final story in the book is the comic story titled Portrait in Blood, which concerns the deadly rivalry between two competing magazine cover artists. So there's a brief synopsis of the stories in Black Cat Mystery number 39. Don't go away, because when I get back, we'll dig deeper into our featured story. I'll see you on the other side. There it is, the red planet Mars. For over 2,000 years, the symbol for war. Here is a new experience in excitement, a new sensation in suspense, as men open the door on the unknown powers of space to learn the incredible secrets of the red planet Mars. Secrets that might destroy us in one moment. You'll be the next to advance science. And maybe us. Right into oblivion! Chris, look! Nine! Two! Six! When do we done it? Dear Lord, don't make us sorry. Yeah, why don't you go to the mine? Those prisoners keep us off, you'll need the army to 
Atomic energy, the hydrogen bomb, flying saucers, and now, secrets beyond belief from the red planet Mars. Secrets that threaten the world with total destruction, as countless millions in every corner of the globe invoke the greatest power of all to save their lives. You do think me a fool. Say where you are. Give me a light. Don't! Don't! Now, we all know that Mars has been nicknamed the Red Planet, but I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that this 1952 horror movie trailer puts a lot of emphasis on the word red in the title. Okay, our featured story for Black Cat Mystery number 39 is the final story, and that's called Portrait in Blood. Not a lot of creator credits for this. Potentially pencils by Vic Donahue. Uh, the only verified credit we have from the Grand Comics database is, is Rocky Mastroserio, and he was a um, artist who worked at all of the New York publishers in the 50s and 60s. Some of his last work would have been on the Warren Mag's Creepy and Eerie working with Archie Goodwin. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting about this particular story is, although this book is not a hosted uh, horror comic, uh, we you know we have the typical um, off-page narrator that you'll get if there's not a host, but in this case, we're actually getting a retelling of the story from someone who lived through it. And here's the introduction. I'm Johnson, an editor. After the incredible disappearance of Steve Tarn, our best artist, I got curious and did a little research. The conclusion I came to makes my skin crawl with unbelievable terror, and yet... Look at the facts yourself and see if you don't agree with me about what happened after Steve finished that gruesome portrait in blood. So he goes on to tell us that he didn't see Steve kill Ray. So uh, right off the bat, we're finding out that there are these two guys, Steve and Ray. They're both uh, magazine cover artists. And he tells us he didn't see Steve kill Ray, but later when he thought of Ray's signature on one of Steve's paintings, he knew it must have happened this way. So he's basically um, making some assumptions on the pieces of evidence this uh, editor could put together. So we see these two guys, Steve and Ray, in their studio, and we see that Ray has signed a piece of artwork that apparently was drawn by Steve. And Steve asked him, what's up with that, you know, signing your name to my painting? And uh, Ray tells him, well, you know... Uh, you're always so secretive about your past. I had a detective look it up, and I learned that you're really Stephen Arnold, wanted for forgery on the coast. So from now on, I'm going to get the credit for your artwork and half of the pay, or else, you know, he's going to uh, turn him in. So we got some extortion going on here. But Steve tells him, well, you're full if you think I'll share my success with you. So he quickly grabs a dagger and stabs his uh, workmate, Ray, in the gut. And uh, he says, my past is dead and I'm going to keep it that way. Our narrator tells us it must have been at that very instant that I showed up for my appointment with Steve. And we see someone knocking at the door and, hey, Steve, open up. Now, Steve realizes, oh, it's the editor, Johnson. I forgot about our appointment. So he grabs Ray's body and drags it into his closet and then lets Johnson, the editor, in. 
Johnson tells us he didn't notice how jittery Steve was that afternoon because he had troubles of his own. And he tells Steve that he's in a jam, he needs a cover for the magazine, he ha- the deadline is tonight, and he needs Steve to do it. So Steve agrees to do this, uh, you know, last-minute cover painting. And he says, you know, let me work on it. What kind of monster do you want? And uh, Johnson tells him, well, it's for a story called The Eater from Space, a ghoulish creature that comes from another world to feed on humans. And he tries to tell Steve, you know, it looks like Steve cuts him off and says, "Uh, leave that to me. I'll use my imagination. But what we notice here in these few panels is that on his palette, you know, he has all his paints... uh, placed on the palette like an artist normally would around the edges but in the center we have this big red blotch and uh it looks like it might be blood so maybe some blood splashed onto the palette when steve stabbed ray our narrator tells us uh, later when i had it analyzed i discovered it was ray's blood but how could i suspect it then and he even comments to steve you know that's quite a vivid red you have mixed there uh use a lot of it. it's a good eye catcher for the cover and we see Steve is thinking it's it's Ray's blood and spurted out when I stabbed him. I must pretend it's paint. So he starts using this red blood, and there we go with red again. That's like a an unintentional recurring theme in this episode. And Steve proceeds to paint this creature that has a very uh, Lovecraftian look to it, and it's all red, uh, using Ray's blood. And the editor Johnson remarks. What a cover it'll make. You're a genius, Steve. Use plenty of that red. And Steve's like, it's uh, this is Ray's blood. It's still alive and warm. It seems to be guiding the brush when I use it, shaping the monster on the canvas. And finally, he finishes the painting. It's an incredible painting as far as this editor's concerned. He even tells Steve it's the best work he's ever done. Steve says, oh, well, thank you. But he rushes this editor out of the door. You know, he pushes him out. And uh, he's like, well, wait a minute. No, no, uh, you know, it'll take at least a half hour for it to dry for me to move it. Let me buy you a drink. You look like you can use one. So they leave and come back to the studio later on. And when they do, they see that the monster is no longer on the canvas. Instead, it's a picture of Ray lying on the floor with a bloody wound in his torso. And... Johnson says, Steve, the picture of the monster, it's disappeared, and isn't that Ray in its place? Uh, How did it get there? Steve says, well, I don't know. It must be a practical joke of Ray's. You know, we share the studio. Uh, You just got to get out. I feel sick. And he pushes the editor out the door again. And and the editor, Johnson, is saying, Steve, wait, my cover, I got a deadline. And Steve pushes him out, says, get someone else to do your cover. Can't you understand? I want to be alone. Now, the narrator Johnston, the uh, editor, goes on to tell us, I was scared by Steve's behavior, and I stayed right outside the door trying to get back in. And he's saying, you know, Steve, you must let me in. What's wrong? I'll get a doctor. He goes on to tell us, I've often wondered what happened behind the locked door. And incredible as it may seem, this is the only possible explanation. Steve must have been looking at the closet. And we see that Steve, at least this is what, you know, Johnson is assuming happened. He opens the closet door and Ray's body is no longer there. It's the monster. It's this Lovecraftian red menace. And we're told that Johnson hears Steve screaming inside. We see that the monster has Steve wrapped around its tentacles. 
and uh, Steve's yelling for help. And we next see that the monster now takes Steve's body and swallows it whole. And he's yelling, it's the eater from space. He, he, no, no. And in the final panel, we get a closing narration from Johnson, the editor. And he says, well, how else can you explain what I saw? You know, because this is what he is thinking happened behind the door. How else can you explain what I saw when I finally broke through that bolted door? There was no other way out of that room. And yet, we see now in the final panel that... The monster is on the canvas, the closet door is open, and Ray's body is lying in there. Uh, we see uh, Steve's palette with all of Ray's blood on it, and Johnson says to himself, that smile on its face, because the monster is smiling, that smile on its face, as though it, it's just been fed, and all the blood dripping from those jaws, it's horrible, where's Steve? And that's how our story ends. I think this story had a lot of potential, it's a bit clunky with the narration. I, it was an interesting concept to actually have like a, a narrator who was an eyewitness to parts of what happened, and then he makes some speculation as to what really happened. But I really find it interesting that, you know, this talk about uh, nuclear fallout and uh, duck and cover and, uh, the you know, the red planet Mars and the Cold War and this monster in this comic that I chose because it really was the best story in the issue. Um, turns out to be a red monster from space. The artwork, uh, it's uh, typical artwork, uh, very bright colors, which uh, Rocky was known for. Uh, and of course, the use of red, which I just talked about. Like I said, the story is a bit clunky. There are things that we just have to assume, you know, that... Uh, Ray and Steve are partners, you know, we're not told that. We eventually are able to figure that out. The assumption at the end is basically, we don't really know what happened behind the door, but, you know, this is the editor's interpretation, and he has a pretty vivid imagination. So that's going to do it for our featured story for Black Cat Mystery number 39. Uh, for next episode, we're going to go back to the random comic generator, and, you know, I'd like to uh, utilize this new function that it has again. Um, you know, we've covered Marvel, we've covered DC, uh, we've covered EC, we've covered Harvey, we've covered uh, Charlton, but we really haven't covered Marvel Comics as they became known, you know, from the 60s on. And they did have some horror titles in the 60s and 70s, so I'm going to try to dial in on uh, Marvel, and uh, we'll see what it kicks back at us. Let's see what we get. Okay. All right, we got Chamber of Chills. Now, this is the Marvel Chamber of Chills from the 70s, not the Harvey Chamber of Chills. We got Marvel Chamber of Chills number seven, published in 1973. So we'll take a look at that next time. That's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can also visit the Facebook group. Search for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number 4-C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Um,
got a dog, baby, I love her so Nothing else like her anywhere you go A man, she, anything but calm Regular pint size, I had a bomb Adam bomb, baby, Adam bomb I want her in my wigwam She's just the way I want her to be A million times hotter than TNT Adam bomb, baby, loaded with power Radioactive as a TV tower A nuclear vision in her soul Loves with the electronic control Adam bomb, baby, Adam bomb I want her in my wigwam She's just the way I want her to be A million times hotter than TNT Bomb, baby, Adam bomb